Have you seated? Thank you. I'm really glad that uh, you have decided to take part in uh, either the online or the uh, on-site worship experience this morning, celebration this morning. Glad you're here. Now, uh, earlier you may have noticed I was wearing a mask, and uh, wow. I seem to be cutting in and out. Yeah, you are. <laughs> well, I may resort to just yelling at you. Okay, I am. Here, maybe that's better. It wasn't quite all the way on. Nope, it's still good. All right. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to talk loud, and if you can't hear me, tell me, and I'll talk louder, because I can do that. One of the first things I had to learn at school was that there is difference between indoor voices and outdoor voices. For some people. <laughs> so I'm going to use a more outdoor voice this morning. And hopefully the folks online will still be able to hear me. And everybody in the room probably will. Uh, so earlier I was wearing a mask and you're probably going to feel like I'm a little more standoffish today than than uh, you would like, and that's because I, my wife, uh, Connie, tested positive for COVID last Monday morning, and it, wearing a mask and staying away from people, you know, it's keeping a distance. I'm not positive. I, there's only one time I like to be negative in my life, and that's when I do a COVID test, and I do a little happy dance when I'm, that comes back negative. You're me. With my knee, I do it. It's it's not pretty and it's not long, but I even with my knee, I do a little happy dance. It's more like this, but anyway, uh, yeah, that's the only time I like to be negative. So I, I I test negative, but just to be on the safe side because apparently this new variant is highly contagious. Um, it's not real bad, but who wants to get COVID? again or for the first time so i just wear a mask and stand back from people and just in case i might be carrying it and don't want to i don't want to share it with anybody if i have it to share if i don't well then you just don't have to look at me <laughs> try not to celebrate keep your happy days to yourself so i can't see it thank you all right so, uh, in case you haven't noticed, if you have, this is not news to you, and if, it, if you haven't, I'm going to say, you know, what have you been doing? Uh, humans long for power and authority in some way, shape, or form. Everyone uh, wants some kind of power. It starts with, I can do it myself. Uh, no! No! That's right. You know, you know the face. You can't tell me what to do. You're not my boss. And even when they are the boss, you can't tell me what to do. I quit. I'll go find a job somewhere else. Yeah, like there's not a boss somewhere else. 
That's why there's so many people starting new jobs. I'm going to get a gig. I'm going to, uh, never mind. That's, some of us believe that our lives really only have meaning and value if we have power. If our political party, and sometimes it's not just us, it's, it's our political party, or if our beliefs carry the day, then everything's great. All is well as long as our group is winning or is in charge. Uh, if, if, if we have the power and the authority to keep our group and our or our organization on track the way we think it should be, then all is well. <laughs> but if the tide turns and we're swamped and we uh, we start fighting for our lives, sometimes literally, unfortunately, and then sometimes figuratively, there's a mixture. Figuratively or literally, we begin fighting for our lives when we don't feel like we have power or we're losing it. Why? You know, why? That's my one of my favorite questions. Why? Why do we value power and authority so highly? Why do we want to be in charge? Could it be we want to control our lives, our circumstances, our futures? And if that's the case, why? Why do we want to control? What we ultimately, I will have to admit, is the uncontrollable. <clears throat> I think we strive for control because we want to maintain a sense of security. All is well when everyone bows to our power and our authority because it gives us a sense that we're uh, secure. May not be true. They may be plotting to overthrow us. Uh, but when we think we're in control, we feel secure. But this is our problem. Billions of other human beings on this planet feel exactly the same way. Billions of other human beings want to be in control. They want to be in, have power and authority. They want other people to fall in line with what they think, and they want to feel secure. We all want power, authority, control, and security, but we can't have them so, in some way, shape, or form, we live in a world where all of us are in a fight for our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. <clears throat> Which brings me to an interesting question. What do you think would happen? What do you think the response would be to a human who had authority to control everything? What would happen if you inserted someone who really had 
the authority and power to control everything into a world full of people who wanted to control everything. Some of you are smiling, so I think you're ahead of me. But that's okay. I don't mind. I'll catch up. Matthew's account of Jesus' life on earth contains an underlying theme of Jesus' power and authority. I'm going to hit highlights. We're not going to go through the entire, you know, we're not going to hit every single instance in Matthew's uh, record to show you, but show us, we're going to hit the highlights. Matthew chapter 7, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, we call the Sermon on the Mount, the first big teaching uh, section of Matthew's gospel, uh, his record of Jesus' life. It tells us when Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. teaching them like one of that authority. Next chapter, chapter 8, uh, he enters Capernaum, a, a Roman centurion approaches him and says, my, my servant, my slave, is at home paralyzed. He's in terrible anguish. Uh, will you heal him? And, and, and Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. You don't, I don't deserve for you to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed for I too am a man under authority. He recognized that Jesus had authority. He says, I'm under authority. I know what it's like. In fact, if I tell one of my soldiers go do something, they go do it. You know, when a drill sergeant tells a private to jump, they ask, when can I come back down? Some of you have been there, you know, because we're not. Okay? He says, when I tell my slave to do this, he goes and does it. I know what it is to be an authority. So, Jesus, you say it, and it'll happen. And Jesus said, I haven't found this kind of faith anywhere in Israel. Here's this Roman soldier, this occupying Roman soldier, who has more faith than all the people in Israel. So Jesus said, go. It's going to be just the way you're, you believed. And his servant was healed. Now, I'm just going to pause for a moment to remind you that biblical faith isn't just believe, is, is not about believing a certain set of doctrines. It is far more about having an accurate understanding of who Jesus is. It is entirely possible that this Roman centurion did not know the Ten Commandments. He probably couldn't have said the Jewish summary of their theology, which is, Behold Israel, the Lord is one. There's one God. And you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He probably didn't know that. 
He may have heard it, possibly. I don't know. But there's a real good chance, as a Roman, he'd never been in a synagogue. But he knew who Jesus was. He's a man who had authority, who could simply say, your servant's healed, and it was going to happen. Later in chapter 8, Jesus got in a boat and started across the, the lake, what we call the Sea of Galilee, often in the Bible. And uh, he's asleep, taking a nap. Storm comes up, waves are breaking over in the boat. The disciples are all panicked. Lord, <laughs> save us, we're going to drown. Now, four of those disciples, eight of them, I'm not, you know, at least eight of them were not professional fishermen. Four of them were. And they're panicked too. The eight that were, you know, the eight that weren't fishermen, I would have been panicked too. They may have been the first ones to panic, but when Peter, James, John, and Andrew started freaking out, I bet the rest of them thought we are going to die. And they wake Jesus up and says, "We're going to die." And he says to them, "What are you? What's, what are you worried about?" And says to the storm, Play it down! <clears throat> and it did. And the disciples said, Who is this guy? Even the winds and wave obey him. Just go pause for a minute. Do you see the difference between the 12 guys who were spending their lives following Jesus and a Roman centurion? It blows my mind. This Roman centurion who was not following Jesus could see this guy has the authority. All he has to do is say something and my servant's going to be healed. He doesn't have to come to my house. He could just say it and his disciples are freaked out. Who is this guy? When he talks, even storms listen. Earlier in chapter 9, we've been working our way through Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, he was in the house. People brought a lame, a, a paralyzed man to him. And the first thing he said to him is, your sins are forgiven. Um, I'm not sure, again, what people... The guy that brought him thought, I think they were thinking, perhaps, hey, uh, that's nice, but we wanted you to heal him. And I'm pretty sure the guy on the mat was going, wow, that's a relief, but I really didn't want to go to work tomorrow. And the religious leaders were thinking, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says to them, so that you can know that the Son of Man has authority, in other words, so that you can know that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins, he turns to the paralytic and says, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And he did. In essence, not only can only God forgive sins, but only God can heal a paralyzed person 
you figure it out. And now we're going to jump all the way. You thought, you're, you're, some of you are thinking, I thought you weren't going to do a, a whole lot. We're not, because we're jumping all the way to the end of book, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, going clear to the end of the book, Matthew chapter 28, the very last few verses, 20, uh, 16 through 20. The disciples meet Jesus on a mountain in Galilee, and he says to them, all authority, all, not most, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Then he commissioned them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've taught you. I mean, all authority is mine. So here's the question again. How do people respond to a person with all power and authority? How do people respond when you insert a person who really has the power and authority we all crave. Now, in Jesus' day, there weren't billions of people wanting that. There were just probably a few thousand or million. Population, world population wasn't that great, but big. But what do you do? Back in Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 to 34, we get a glimpse of what people do in response to a human being inserted into a world where everyone wants power and authority, and this person has it. As Jesus went on from there, it tells us in Matthew 9, 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. Out of pause. Did you catch it? First few times I read that, I didn't catch it. Somebody had to point it out to me. Two blind men followed him. Two blind men followed him. Is anybody else asking my second favorite question? How? Did Jesus have like a little sack of rocks in his hand that he was shaking so they knew where he was going? Was he going? This way, guys. I mean, two blind men followed Jesus. And just in case, just to blow my whole theory that they were listening for noises he was making, they were making noise. The whole time they're following Jesus, they're making noise. They're calling out, Have mercy on us, Son of David. 
By the way, just quick note on Son of David. That's a term for the Messiah. They recognized who Jesus was. The anointed one sent by God. When he'd gone indoors, the blind men came to him. They followed him indoors. And he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their faith, their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him. All over that region. It's another thing I had never noticed before when I read that story. I always thought he went. They went out and talked about what had happened to them. The thing that they, they Jesus healed us. Jesus healed us. Jesus healed us. That's not what it says. It says they went out and talked about Jesus. Everybody that they could get to listen, they wanted to tell them about Jesus. While they were going out, it goes on to sell us in Matthew chapter 9, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. When the demon was driven out, the man who had, not, who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said... It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So what do you think the response would be to a human who had the authority to control every aspect of our lives in the world? What would happen if you insert a person who has the power and authority to control every aspect of our lives in the world into a world where everybody wants that of power and authority? Here you have it, in a nutshell, in seven or eight verses, right here in the middle of Matthew chapter 9, Matthew 9, third, uh, Matthew chapter 9, and it's basically this, there have always been only two responses to Jesus, only two responses to Jesus, the one with all that authority and power. Two blind men can see who Jesus is and they follow him. They're following him before he even heals them. But the Pharisees, who aren't physically blind, refuse to see who Jesus is. In fact, they would rather give the credit to Satan, the prince of demons, than to God. So what keeps us as human beings from seeing who Jesus is? What prevents us from receiving the healing that only he can give us? I think it all boils down to one simple statement. We refuse to cast down our idols. 
I don't have any idols. Okay, let me clarify. An idol doesn't have to be a little statue or figurine or stick or some other object of nature. It doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can be anything that we think will give us what God alone can give us. We won't let go of our drive for power, authority, control, and security. And even though we know we really, from experience, even though we know from experience we can't have them, and we know we're in a fight for our lives because we can't have them and everybody else wants them, we choose to live in blind denial. We choose to refuse to see what's right in front of us. We refuse to let go of this sense of security, this false sense of security that has us sinking into the abyss when we can grasp Jesus' hand and face what is to us an unknown future. Now, who better to trust than Jesus? We heard him described this morning in our songs, but let me remind you, we heard him described in our Bible readings, but let me remind you, even though he was before his birth and conception, even though he was God, he emptied himself of all his divine privileges to become a human being. And Jesus did not become a rich, powerful, ruling class human being. He became a working class person on the poorer end of life in an occupied country. And he went further down to become a servant and a sacrifice for the entire human race on the cross. I think we need to hear this because we don't say it God died for you on the cross. But then on the Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead to ascend to heaven's throne. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue was, is going to admit that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And that leaves us with one question, which is are going to be our sermon sentence today. Sentence in a sermon. A sermon in a, yeah, that thing. The sermon in a sentence for the day, because it's a question. I've, I'm so I'm confused as to what's going on, and I'm the one to put it together that way. We have a question that's going to be the sermon in a sentence this week. 
Do we live as though we believe Jesus has authority over every aspect of our lives and the world? Do we live as though we believe Jesus has authority over every aspect of our lives and the world? We strive for power, authority, and control to maintain a sense of security. And all is well when everything and everyone lines up with what we think ought to be. All is well when we think we're in control and we feel secure. But it's only an illusion because we're not in control and we really aren't secure because we're just a moment away from everything falling apart. Jesus is the only one with complete power and authority. And he uses his power and authority to help us. So when we see Jesus, the king who loves and helps us, we can release our grip on the idols of power, authority, control, and security. We can release our grip on our thoughts of I'm going to get security from whatever it is we're going to want security from. When we know who Jesus is, we can grasp his hand to face the unknown future. Devotional author J.D. Walsh says it this way, what we call salvation is not first about what Jesus can do for us. It begins with who Jesus is to us. It, this simply cannot be overstressed. Do we see Jesus primarily as a solution to our problems? Then that's how we're going to relate to him. Jesus is looking for people who possess the humble capacity to see him as the person of God. I think that's why he told people that he healed to keep quiet about the healing. Because sometimes the miracles can actually blind us to the miracle. As important as what Jesus can do for us, the miracle is who Jesus is to us. He is the God who is with us right now. Discipleship is all about growing in our capacity to perceive and embrace his very real, even though it's unseen, presence with us. That's the ultimate miracle. God is with us. And every other miracle ultimately comes from the fact that he's with us. So what about you? Do you live as though you believe Jesus has the authority to control 
as it has authority over every aspect of your life and the world. Now, some of us are perfectionists. Some of us are simply black and white people. I am the firstborn son. Firstborn children tend to be perfectionists. I am the firstborn son of two perfectionists. I'm almost... Alright, I'm just going to admit it. I am cursed to be a perfectionist. Either a frustrated one or a practicing one. I haven't decided which it is. Uh, ask people in my family. They'll tell you. Uh, don't fall into the trap. I'm telling this to me, but anybody else who's a perfectionist needs to hear it. And those of us who are all black and white people need to hear it. Do not fall into the trap of thinking you have to be, you have to be all or nothing. Do not fall into the trap of thinking you have to get it perfectly right or it's all wrong. <clears throat> we are all mixed bags of imperfections. Growth takes truth, grace, and time. The truth is that I have pursued power to gain a sense of security. I have developed habits and patterns of ways of thinking and relating and, and acting that are just not like Jesus. And I've been doing it for, well, a long time. Let's just say it that way. And the truth is that only Jesus can provide real authority and real security. And I need to recognize both those truths. There are things I need to unlearn and the things I need to learn. There's truth. There's grace. Grace forgives my past as well as all those times where I slip back into those old patterns of thinking and acting. There's grace that I need to give myself for all those times where I... There's grace I need to receive from other people. There's grace I need to extend to the billions of other people in the world who want the same things that, frankly, I've always wanted. <coughs> And Jesus works with me over time. Occasionally, Jesus will set us free in an instant. But sometimes, he, for no reasons, because not only am I a firstborn child of perfectionist, I am an impatient person. I am the firstborn son of a guy who said, I would like to have things done yesterday, if not sooner. That always confused me until I tried to get one and started realizing I don't like to have things done that fast too. Also frustrating. Jesus works with me over time to completely cast down my idols of power, authority, control, and security. It takes grace, it takes time, it takes truth, to grow and to be more like Jesus. So what about you? 
Do you live as though you believe Jesus has authority over every aspect of your life and the world? Are you growing to live as though you believe Jesus has authority over every aspect of your life and the world? Let's pray. Sovereign Creator God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Lord God Almighty sits on the throne of heaven. We have confess, we confess we have given our idols power over our lives. Our idols aren't figurines or things in nature. We've idolized that I authority, power, control security and anything that we think will get those for us we've conformed to the ways and customs of this world we've stopped praying for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven we may have said the words but we weren't really praying for it because we weren't really ready to surrender to it. Instead, we've attempted to make your kingdom a reality on our own with our strength and our resources because we wanted your kingdom to look the way we think it ought to look. So in other words, we were trying to build our kingdom. So King Jesus, we failed miserably. We confess it. We speak it out loud. We admit it. We have failed miserably in all of our attempts. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Call us deeper into your kingdom. Call us deeper to declare that you are the only one who has power over us because your power is your love. Show us how to love our neighbors as ourselves. Show us how to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Empower us to show mercy and love to each other. Not some watered down human version. Teach us how to love like you love. Holy Spirit, fill us with the dynamic, powerful, transforming love of God. And 
keep filling us and keep filling us and keep filling us. Never stop filling us in Jesus' name and for God's glory. I want to take a moment to talk to those of you who joined us online. I want to thank you for joining us. If you have not already joined our Facebook group, Champions of Hope, we'll invite you to do that. It's a great way to get some uh, unique content, content uh, and make some connections with other folks who are infusing people with the hope of Jesus. you also be one of the first to get some information about upcoming events and those kinds of things. Just wanted to let you know that. Well, everyone, Jesus is the center of God's plan to transform and restore this broken world. And you and I are central to the Holy Spirit's vision of proclaiming the story of Jesus and introducing him to every man, woman, and child in Bay County and beyond. The Holy Spirit works in and through us to do far more than we could ever imagine or guess or even request in our wildest dreams. He does it deeply and gently. He renews our minds, transforms our lives from the inside out. He touches people through us. You are sent to love with his love. You're sent to love everyone, everywhere, every day. Go. You are sent in Jesus' name.